What up? This is Dart Adams. This is season two of Dart Against Humanity. So I gave everybody more than a month to catch up on the previous 13 episodes from the first season. I know that some episodes are going to be more to your liking than others. I was hoping that during that time people would catch up, possibly spread the word or maybe sit more with certain episodes or reevaluate certain things that I covered and basically I need to give myself time to you know go back and figure out how I can do things differently or better than I did the previous season the whole point of doing anything is so that there's evolution so there's improvement so there's an upward spiral things should be going up improving getting better progressing uh with time as opposed to degressing or getting worse or regressing so and another thing is that of course I spend a lot of time in the space of being around creators and whether it be in content creation or just being a creative in a sense where you're an artist or a writer or whatever medium you choose to pursue, I've noticed that, you know, there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of stress involved because you have to keep up a certain level of enter the metric here. Whether you need to make a certain amount of money, whether you need to hit a certain number, whether you need to have a quota of something. That gets stressful and it can make the creation process worse and it can make it hell. It's hard to work when you're up against a deadline and you're feeling stress and all these other factors are contributing to, you know, becoming a detriment to your actual work or making your work environment worse or the situation worse. So one of the things I want to do is I want to give myself time and I want to give the audience time. I think that the problem is when we look at things like uh, living in an ever real-time social media with a 24-hour um, news cycle and you look at like what algorithms, especially the ones like YouTube, what they uh, focus on is a long time ago they used to really care about short-term content. Now they want long content, but they want it to be uploaded on a certain cycle. And they cater to that. So you could do things a certain way, and it's not going to show up in that header, that all-important header. And sometimes there are people that do the same thing they've done before, but the people that subscribe to them don't even get notifications anymore, regardless if they have the bell or whatever happened. Or they've subscribed, or they've turned on the notifications, or they've done everything supposedly that people say to do in videos. So, I wanted to get away from that whole thing, and I just wanted to make it so that it's not on a schedule. I just wanted to be able to just make whatever I wanted to make, talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And give myself the opportunity to not run myself into the ground and not make my listeners or the audience, whoever that is, sick of me every three to five days 
with another 50 minutes just ramming content down their throats. I don't want you to feel like you're up against it or you're put upon from the next thing. Like I want people to look forward to it and also want people to feel like, hey, I can consume this when I feel like it because that's the way everything's going now anyway. I want like I again, I I have the uh, show has been running since April. I went from April to June. Um, I didn't tell anybody to put up any like comments or anything on iTunes. They did it anyway. Uh, I didn't tell anybody to go around and tell their friends about it. They did anyway. I did. I didn't really care how it spread because it's going to spread how it spreads. If you spend enough time in media like I have. You know what's going to happen is going to happen and it's inevitable. And no matter how you try to suppress something or stop it, it's going to happen. So just let it happen. So I'm not going to try to tell people what to do, who to share it with, how to share it. They'll do it when they want to, how they want to. And this show will become what it becomes, however it becomes it. There's nothing I've noticed more than when you push for something to be one way, a lot of times... Things take a left turn and ends up being something you didn't anticipate. And a lot of times it's the best thing for you. And you don't even realize what's going on until later. And a lot of times uh, people are having to circle around or or pivot to something else. And it's like if you just paid attention and went with things like Bruce Lee always said, be water. It'll be what it is and it'll make sense if you just go along with everything as opposed to trying to force things to be one way you don't know what anything is we'll figure it out we'll get there especially in this day and age trying to force things is not gonna work we'll we'll see now where have I been what have I been doing lately I've written Whoa. So uh two pieces that I wrote recently, one was for um OK Play and the other one's for Urban Legends. This article I had been working on doing research for for months. Just out of curiosity, because I read this horrible slate article years ago about the progression of um features in like R and B, the space R and B. And I read it and I was like it started with Bobby Brown and Glenn Medeiros, uh, She Ain't Worth It, or The Girl Ain't Worth It, uh, She's Not Worth It, whatever the fuck the song's called. And how Glenn Medeiros couldn't get a hit with MCA, really. Like, he had minor hits. But Bobby Brown was the hottest thing on the planet. It's like, hey, if we put Bobby, his label mate, on this song, it's going to blow up. It's going to be a hit. And that's what happened. A Glenn Medeiro song ended up really becoming a Bobby Brown song. And Bobby Brown spit a verse on there. So it became a Glenn Medeiros' uh, first number one hit. But technically it's a Bobby Brown hit. But anyways, I'm reading it and I'm like, no, this is wrong. Because this article should be about something else. It should be about the progression of R&B rap collaborations beginning in 1988 going up through 1990 when it switched and suddenly it became um, R&B singers 
on rapper songs trying to get hot off the rapper. See, at first, rap was the redheaded stepchild of black music. I've sp- explained this uh, a couple of times in the previous 13 episodes. Now we're on episode 14 of Dart Against Humanity. So I wanted to focus on that switchover from 1988, spring, summer 1988, when New Jack Swing became the default s- setting of R&B. A lot of the older artists who are trying to make hits realize I can't make hits unless I incorporate these young folks and this young audience and get them on my side because I'm not going to be able to conquer black radio and I'm not going to be able to conquer black radio that's going to affect my album sales because when you look at the um, top black album charts of spring summer 1988 going forward into 1989 you're seeing a lot more rappers and a lot and a lot of those new jack swing era albums which I've mentioned before albums by Troop albums by uh, Tony 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 Guy uh, New Edition Bobby Brown all these cats later like Tony Terry like all these albums that came up uh, Paul Abdul's album even even had some of these things going on and these are the albums that really started to smash like 89 so if you weren't doing that then you were screwed so I did a whole piece about that I went from I uh, started with Rick James's Lucy's Rap Featuring Roxanne Shante, it was his last number one hit. I started out, and the thing is that the premise, of course, I explained it. Going back to the mid '80s, the late, the early '80s, um, like Shaka Khan's "I Feel for You" with Melly Mel wasn't her idea. She wasn't a big fan of the song. The song blows up, but the nature of the song didn't lead to more R&B artists working with rap talent. It didn't happen. It might have happened sparingly, but it didn't blow up and it didn't lead to it happening more often. Rocket had Grandmaster DXT on it. Uh, It was a huge hit. It was a landmark event, sure, in black music. Did it really legitimize hip-hop in the eyes of the jazz world or the wider black music world the older guys no it didn't frankie crocker still didn't love hip-hop and didn't get it um guys like don cornelius didn't love hip-hop and didn't get it and didn't embrace it you know donnie simpson certainly did it uh, none of the older cats from that era, that generation, did the same. So, as great as it was, as a landmark moment, it didn't change things going forward. It started to change after Rick James's hit with Roxanne Shante, Lucy's Rap. Immediately, Midnight Star did a song with Ecstasy of Houdini, Don't Rock the Boat. And that became a hit. Which then went to Levert releasing Just Coolin' with Heavy D on the titular song on the album, you know. That's when the ball started moving. This is when R&B artists were like, yo, we need to have a rapper. We need to do new Jack Swing shit. Like, if we want to if we wanna pop nowadays. And labels are like scrambling and debt 
and chairs are, chairs are changing and shit like that. There's actual movement. It's happening. It's a progression. It's happening more and more. So I wrote that article. The article, they called it 10 songs from the late 80s that kicked off R&B and rap collaborations. A lot of people saw the title and got mad. And they were like, what about this song? What about this song? What about this song? Motherfucker, if you read the article, I explained to you why these things aren't part of the article or why the article starts in 1988. All you have to do is read it. First few paragraphs. Matter of fact, there's one, two, three, four. There's four paragraphs that explain everything. Explain everything. Read the fucking article. Right? So I did that piece for OK Player. It's, the numbers have been crazy. Um, then I did another piece for uh, Urban Legends. Um, Urban Legends recently released uh, Eric B and Rock Him. Uh, box set their entire discography so uh the album came out the 30th anniversary was the 25th or the 26th because mca was releasing albums on mondays as i explained uh they released a guy's album on june 13th which was a monday then the next week they released uh bobby brown and new editions album on the 20th which was a monday but as, as I also explained before, previous to the July 4th holiday, people were releasing things early. Even uh, studios released films early because they wanted to have the number one uh, box office slot July 4th. So the fact of the matter is, after July 4th, I don't think a lot of people were really paying that much attention to if an album was released or a uh, thing was released a day early because it didn't matter because everybody was fighting for that uh, top slot when the July 4th holiday, the holiday weekend happened. So it's very likely that the album was actually released on the 25th. Because if you check the RIAA um, chart, it says the album was released on the 25th and not the 26th. However, the fact of the matter is, most people probably went to buy the album on the 26th. Because that's the same day Salt and Pepper's album came out. So Salt and Pepper released Assault with Deadly Pepper on the 26th. So I think most people went to buy both albums together. I think that's why a lot of people aren't aware if the album came out the 25th or the 26th. So the the joint was released on the 26th. It was Eric B and Rakim's Follow the Leader, 30th Anniversary Retrospective. Did that one. Numbers have been impressive on this one too. A lot of good feedback on this joint. Uh, what I wrote. Basically, it was just me going back and going back and remembering the impact of the album and what it had on me when I was 12 going on 13. Uh, also, uh, we go back and we just passed the 25th anniversary of the death of Reggie Lewis. So Reggie Lewis was a basketball player. Uh, he played here in Boston he played for Northeastern University between 1983 and 1987, became a Celtic in 1987, and played for them until 1993. So that's 10 years. That's a 10-year span. I was 17 when he died. I was weeks from turning 18. So this is somebody that I looked up to from age 7 to 17. And it wasn't just me. Like, he was beloved in the city. They used to write about this man like... They wrote about Larry Bird 
and he was a college student to give you an idea how beloved he was and um so as you know i i was doing uh jerseys throwback jerseys for reggie lewis and another one for dredrick irving so the in-store event for that is actually happening in boston at the four boston store uh august 4th i just want to give you an idea an update of what i've been doing because i said that i was going to be focusing on other things so yeah i've been working i non-stop working matter of fact right now i'm writing a piece about the um the summer of 1988 and i also want to release it on the 30th anniversary of the first episode of yo mtv raps which would be august 6th um so august 6 1988 was the first episode of yo mtv raps now between all this stuff happening I've been doing like a bunch of back research and trying to figure out things, trying to fix some things in this space, at least trying to get people to care more. So one of the things that I did, uh, I found the 30th anniversary of the source. So the source's first issue or the, the leaflet or the sales guide, as we know it, was first distributed to the Skippy White stores in Boston, there were several locations in the Boston metro area or the metro Boston area, whichever one sounds better to you, on July 25th, 1988. Now, I spent months researching to try to make sure I came up with the right date. I talked I talked to um John Schechter of the source after I figured I figured I felt felt like I had figured it out. I did so much research trying to nail down when this could have happened, the date and when it would make the most sense and how it could have happened and going back in my own memory. Because I cared that much about figuring it out. And I wondered how come no one else cared enough to try. And the sad thing is the source didn't acknowledge its own 30th anniversary. Or care to figure out when it was. Matter of fact, the fact of the matter is the source had gotten their anniversary wrong. They thought that they were founded in 1990. Because that's when the source moved from Boston, on uh, Cambridge, or the Boston area, to New York. That's when they begin to publish more regularly, starting with that big issue in 19, at the top of 1990. So they didn't even know their own anniversary. In 2015, they were talking about the 25th anniversary of The Source. I was like, dumbasses, y'all were founded in 1988. I know because I held the first issue of The Source in my hand. I held the first few issues of The Source in my hand in Boston. So I wanted to do that. I acknowledged... Uh, a couple of I've done this before though uh, incorrect release dates which I've done before but this time I did it with different albums I believe I did uh, MC Light uh, her first album which is uh, Light is a Rock and I also I uncovered that the date in Wikipedia and good lord man this is a problem the date in Wikipedia where they list the Jungle Brothers Release date is wrong. More than likely, the Jungle Brothers album came out. 
probably August 29th. Maybe August 29th, 1988. But they have the release date being in October, and that's not possible because it was already charting by then. And I know my brother went to Nubian Ocean and came back with it on vinyl before the school year started and after I had turned 13. So my birthday is August 17th. So 17 days. If you don't understand that reference, I just feel sorrow for you. Like real, real sorrow for you. Deep in the pit of my soul. I can't say heart because I don't have a heart. Basically in my chest is just the Bostonian matrix of leadership. That's all that shit is. Um, so when you write, you hope that it's received well. Uh, it's a relief because you know there's a check coming. For all the labor that you do. Because I've done a lot of labor. And there might necessarily there might not necessarily be a check coming, but I know there actually is several coming from the work that I'm doing now, which is a relief. And as opposed to being stressed out by having to go up against a deadline, I'm reaching deadlines all the time. I enforce I make deadlines for myself and them I just do it just while I'm in practice. It's like uh and the X Men Going to the danger room and working out just in case a beef happens. You know, I keep myself sharp. So, hey, could I have this by then? I'm like, uh, y'all have that shit to you in 18 hours. And they're like, what? And I deliver in 12. And they're like, how? Or it's like, so can you have something by this date? And I deliver 10, 7 to 10 days early. Because I put myself through more rigorous shit. Than anybody else could I'm more critical of myself than anyone else could So when people come at me with Why didn't you do this, 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 this I always have an answer Because when I write something I read it back Like someone who hates me And is waiting for me to fuck up I'm from Boston Nothing and no one Is going to be more critical Or harder on me Than me It's not possible um, but also at the same time, I'm also aware that I can't get better without critique. And also, I'm always trying to look out for my blind spots. If someone wants to call me out on something that I do, I'm going to listen. Not because of fucking ego and because I want to prove you wrong. It's because the fact of the matter is, I'm a human. And when you're a human, you're fallible. And you have to give yourself space to be wrong and being wrong is great not knowing something is great want to know why because that's when you get to learn that's when you have the opportunity to correct the things that you've done wrong and you get to learn learning is the point of life communication the point of communication is to exchange ideas so you learn something so you learn something from someone else so you close up a lot of these blind spots and these things that you do wrong you can never be perfect and that's the beauty of anything and also when you do anything you have to expect critique you can't do anything in a vacuum and expect no one to come back and say yo um you could have done this better there's always something you could have done better there's always something you could have done better 
I tweet all the time and I agonize over fucking up words or getting typos if I just slowed down instead of trying to get this fire ass tweet off. I could have done it better. And I look back at old stuff that I wrote when people are like, yo, you should write a book. You should write a book. And they're like, you should write a book. And I love this piece. And I go back and I read that piece I wrote when I was 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40. And I'm like, I'm way better now. I could figure this out way better, way faster. I could have done away with all this inessential shit. I could have gotten right to the to the fact that I'm at. And plus, in that time span, I've researched more and I have a better background or better understanding of this subject where I could have injected this. And I can't believe I just didn't wait till I knew more. And sometimes I go back and I read uh, stuff that I wrote on Medium and I just go back and I just add stuff. I could just edit it. I just go back and add stuff. Like I didn't know that in 2014. I, have found, I found out that two months ago when I was doing research. So I add it now and now the article's way better. And people read it now and they're like, wow, this is so... Like, it's so informative and it's so precise. And it was like, because I agonize over these things, because I care about history and I care about context and all these things. It matters to me. Now, for me, I look at things. Philosophy is big for me. Uh, I know nobody really values people don't value philosophy anymore because there's no money that can be made from it. But how you approach life and how you approach the creative process and how you manage your expectations and how you deal with the stressors involved in this space where everybody is freelancing and they're trying to figure it out and they're trying to get above the noise. Man, it's crucial. It's crucial, man. Is is and philosophy can help with a lot of this shit, man. And people just don't think that it's important. It's very important. It's super important. Um. So I always get questions about, uh, why don't I have a Patreon? And the fact of the matter is that it's a philosophical thing. I think that some people do the Patreon thing. They have the supporters. They're going to pay. They're going to put forth the money and pay and stuff like that. And that's dope. That's good for you. For me, I don't want to put myself through just me creating and not really caring about stuff and not checking on numbers and doing certain things like that is great for me because I get to create what I want, how I want. And it doesn't bore the listener or the consumer. Uh, I don't really like the term consumer because it feels like it's a business and it's business, but it ain't for me. This is me. So I I hate using that term. But once I start making it like doing a Patreon and stuff like that, let's say that I do a Patreon and I don't see contributions immediately. That's going to affect me going forward because now it's another metric or it's another number when I devoid numbers altogether. And now this is a number I'm going to rely on because it's money. And it's from the people. But here's the thing, man. The people are just like me. I used to get mad to certain people wearing like years ago. I used to get mad at certain people that like, yo, why don't you put me on? Why aren't you doing this? How come these people ain't doing this? Like they say they love what I do. They're fucking working too. The same way I'm busting my ass trying to get somewhere, they're not where they want to be. They have things that they're trying to do. They're constantly working. So they can only do so much. 
Just like I can only do so much for people that I love. So I do what I can. So it's this big cycle. So just because they're higher up on the food chain, I feel like they have a bigger obligation when we're still in the same boat, kind of. I'm trying to get here. They're trying to get here, wherever here is. And they're like, yo, this dude's dope. Y'all need to check for him. Or, or, or she's like, yo, I love what he does. You guys need to check for him. Just because I don't feel that immediately doesn't mean that they're not pulling for me or they're not informing people about me. And I don't see it because the fact of the matter is things are growing and things are happening regardless. It's just not happening fast enough for me. So I'm not satisfied with it. And that's when you have to just acknowledge that maybe my viewpoint or my perspective, I again have blind spots and I'm not seeing everything that's happening. But as far as like having a Patreon, it would fuck everything up if I was like, yo, I'm going to say, hey, if you guys donate two dollars, if just 50 of you donate ten dollars, if one of you donates one dollar and this happens and then I have it happen and it's like thirty seven dollars. Know what I'm saying? That's going to fuck me up. So I just leave the whole shit alone. It's a philosophical thing. If you want to do it, do you. It's a philosophical thing. It's a personal choice for me. Uh, merch. How come I? How come there's no Dart Against Humanity merch? First of all, I don't know what this is yet. I just had one season of 13 episodes. My next season might be way better than the first season. I might figure out something. I, so I don't know what this is yet. Uh, we did get added to Spotify not too long ago. We've been added to Player FM and all these other things. So right now there's like uh, 13, between 13 and 15 different outlets, uh, distributors for this podcast. What is it? Apparently people, it's spreading and people are listening. But what is it? What am I talking about? If you wanted me to uh, give a summation of exactly what I'm talking about right now, I couldn't fucking tell you. You know what I'm saying? This little stream of consciousness thing. So for me to have merch, it's like, so what's what's Dart Against Humanity about? It's Dart Against Humanity. Sometimes he rants about sports. There was this one episode where he was talking about an episode of the Cosby show where he didn't understand the shit about Maxine Kirkwood and Lana Herman going over to Theo's, you know, like basically Dart Against Humanity is fucking conversations with me. The difference is I'm holding my fucking phone. I'm sitting on my um, I'm sitting in a leather chair in front of my laptop right now. This is my office. I'm speaking to you from my office. I'm not sitting, I've done podcasts with people and they have professional setups and they have the the computer. I've actually, I did did a uh, podcast recently. Um, it's something like a podcast, uh, salute to him. I did that, John. I've done like Rain and Jays. I've done podcasts where it's so lit Boston. I've gone to their studios, the professional sets, setups. I can't do that shit. As high as my IQ supposedly is, as smart as I supposedly am, as many connections as I have to people with studios in the technical world, 
I don't have the patience to do shit like send it out to an editor and do this, do this. I'm going to talk to my phone with my thumb on a button, take it off, upload the shit and be done with it. And I find out the numbers later if I care to find out. And then I look at something and I click on a link and I'm like, oh shit, I didn't even know that. I just want to put out whatever is the the most honest and direct thing. And hopefully it resonates with people. Hopefully. Hopefully. But I look at things like everything is about a learning process. Everything is about that progression. So I had a conversation. I went to this um event in Boston. They have an event. It's called um, Nightworks. And I'm leaving Nightworks. But then I have a discussion with a bunch of guys outside. And the discussion turned to like what's is like what's rap versus what's hip hop. And I had to explain to the guys that the young younger cats don't get it that when you're older and you've been around more and if you're like me I'm a historian, I understand that there's tradition. I understand that there's a, a history. I understand that there's a continuum. But I also realize that sometimes you have to abandon some tradition and you have to get rid of some of the old shit in order to get to what's good and what makes sense. And when you deal with things like in different spaces, it's like, yes, this happens. If you're writing an article and you're talking about this album from 2015 did this first. Well, you fucked up because the fact of the matter is you don't have the background. uh, You don't have the knowledge base to know for sure if that's right or you're just talking out of your ass. So avoid doing that entirely. Talk about that specific album for that specific time period and what it means to that particular audience. And you don't put yourself in danger and put yourself up there where you hang yourself out there. Where you're going across the you're going across the fifty yard line, and someone hang, hung a pass out there, knowing Ronnie Lott's waiting to take your fucking head off. Your quarterback should have known better to put you out there, and you should have known Ronnie Lott's back there, and you should have known that your whole head and chest is open, and he's about to knock you the fuck out and separate you from the ball, and you're about to look like a fool out here, and you're about to be unconscious, and they're about to bring the stretcher out. There are different ways to do this. And what you need to understand is that I've been around, so I know that certain things are necessary, certain things aren't. And that doesn't delegitimize or that doesn't delegitimize what you're doing necessarily, but you have to understand where you are in the continuum and where you are in this history. And what you occupy and what space you occupy in it. Like, and it's hard because if you don't have an understanding of it, you're going to have to go to somebody and be like, yo, how do you feel about it? And we're going to have to have a real dialogue. And a lot of times that dialogue doesn't happen. So it's just a mistrust from both sides. And it's, it's unfortunate. But we were sitting there and we were talking and the question was like, Who's a rapper versus an MC? And I'm like, I know the difference between a rapper and MC because I experienced both. 
you guys have an idea, think you know what it is. But if I tell you what it is, a lot of times you get pissed off because you feel like I'm talking down or I'm shitting on you. And I totally understand that. Being younger and you being mad to be like, yo, we're, we can't be this in your eyes ever. Shit, I went to, I went to Boston Latin School. Uh, school, the particular building I went to was created, was built in 1912. But the school had been around since 18, 13, 1635. The school had been around since 1635. All right. And when you walk into the school or the or the auditorium, you look up and you see the names of all these famous men all around. And there are gold engravings of men that died in the Civil War and the Revolutionary War. Who went to the school? World War One, because World War One was going had just like recently happened. Uh, then later on, you see the people from World War Two. And all these famous Ben Franklin who went there for one year got chased out of fucking Boston into Philadelphia, but they claim him. I'm like, if I leave this school in two years and go off and do some great shit, they ain't gonna claim me. And this is what I'm thinking. I'm looking at George Sotomayor, you know? I'm looking at Adams, Adams. I'm like, they my Adams ain't gonna be up here. Why does this bother me? Why does this bother me? Why did it bother Ben Solo so much that he wasn't going to be recognized for the if he became a Jedi because he's going to be overshadowed by his uncle or the fucking Ben Kenobi or all these other Jedis because the Jedis have been around for 10,000 years and he couldn't fucking rock with the Jedi traditions. So he abandoned it completely and then he abandoned the fucking dark side because he couldn't rock with them holding him up to be to be Vader. Did he have to be Vader? Did he have to be Ben Kenobi? Did he have to be his uncle? Did he have to adhere to any of these fucking rules? Or could he just been him? Sometimes tradition gets in the fucking way. It just does. That's why I learn history. I learn tradition. I learn about the effects of birth order. I learn about different eras. So I know what works, what to keep, and what to get rid of. I learned the English language backwards and forwards, so I learned how to fucking manipulate it when I write. I learned what rules I could break. You learn different fighting systems, so you know what you can keep and what is just bullshit. That's what Bruce Lee did. Bruce Lee studied fighting systems, and he studied martial arts, and he studied all these philosophies, so he knew how to get to the real shit how to get to what actually works the essentials there's a book called um book of the five rings i believe in the book of the five rings it's this big exoteric text that tells you all these things you need to do all these chapters all these things you need to do all these steps all these things you need to learn everything you need to consider or like all these things you need to know and all the all this shit. And then the last chapter is called the chapter of the void, or the chapter of the unknown. And do you know what that chapter tells you? Forget all that shit you learned before. Because by now all that shit should be muscle memory. And just act, just feel, just do. That's mind blowing. After cramming all that shit in my head for all this time, you're just telling me, fuck it, do it.
Want to know why? Because in real life, if you're an entrepreneur, you can study, you can go through all these books, you can do all these case studies, you can pick people's brains, you can have all these meetings and luncheons. Until you jump your ass in the water and you fight currents for yourself, you're not going to figure it out. You're just not. It's impossible. It's the fucking never-ending story riding Falcor the Luck Dragon over whatever the fuck the name that country world was and yes I did see Neverending Story in the theaters and I did figure out Atreyu and Bastion were the same person and I don't know what the fuck the name of the world was um but the f- point I'm making is that I've studied everything down to a science i I deconstruct it. I decompose it. I break it down to the cellular level. And I learn all this shit just so I know what I don't need to learn or what I don't need to use going forward. I read 48 Laws of Power. And do you know what I found out at the end of 48 Laws of Power? I don't need to ever do any of this shit. I'm good. If I want to be a total asshole, I'll use the 48 Laws of Power. I read the shit. And I learned that certain laws contradict each other. And I also learned that I don't want to use this unless I want to try to gain power through unscrupulous means and maintain it through unscrupulous means. If I want to fuck with this at all, toss this entire book out. That's the power. That's the lesson I learned from 48 Laws of Power. And 50 Cent likes to use the 48 Laws of Power. And he wrote his own version called the 50 Laws of Power. And that told me everything I need to know about 50 Cent. I'm not fucking with 50 Cent ever. Because you can't be a friend to 50 Cent. It's impossible. If someone loves the 48 Laws of Power, they might as well be a fucking Batman villain. You learn it so you can recognize people using it and avoid them. Understand what I'm saying? It's the same way. Um, so I did this. I've done a whole bunch of research. I research. I don't sleep. If you're listening to this podcast, you can't tell I'm somebody whose brain is always working. Then I'm somebody whose brain is always working. And that comes with not sleeping. And it's not insomnia. This is what I do. If you look at me, you can tell I'm totally fine. I guess we'll find out later. But anyway. I've been studying the world of um, comic books and media. And one thing that I've been studying is the progression of certain characters and tropes and the eras starting with the golden era, silver age going up, going forward. And I'm learning about all the things that people who are in the comic book medium now didn't know some of the greatest most innovative books are made by people who weren't comic book fans who weren't fans of the normal tropes who weren't fans of the normal um the typical things that people in the comic book world feel are essential and you know what not knowing not being bogged down by all that tradition not having these preconceived notions uh, 
makes them focus on doing what hasn't been done before and ne- quite necessarily needs to be done to push the medium forward, to bring in a new audience of people who are like, eh, I never fucked with it for that same reason. There isn't a medium that exists or an art form that exists that has people that have written it off, that has people that doesn't have people that have written it off because they're not into this aspect of it. Think about how much different, how much this genre or this art form would have grown if it had different perspectives from people to widen its perspective or give a variety and bring in a new audience. I have people put a new twist on it. They don't deal with the history of it. They can learn after the fact. I was explaining to somebody, I was like, look, if someone comes to you with a student film or an independent film and you watch it and it's one of the best films you've seen in the last 20 years and you come back to them with, hey, this is reminiscent of and you give them a list of, I don't know, like this is like Cassavetes or, or the, the dialogue reminds me of Mamet or all this shit. And they stare at you. They give you a blank stare and they're like, I don't know who any of those people are. Does it discredit? Or immediately discount that art that they just made or how great it is because they didn't know who these people were. You run up on a 13 year old and he starts rapping and he starts spitting and it's insane and his wordplay is amazing. His breath control is impeccable. His his bars and nuts. His wordplay, the, the way he's fitting the words in together, his rhyme structure, the scheming, the internal rhymes. Multis, uh, just everything is nuts. And you're like, wow, you're reminiscent of a young, and you run down the list of MCs, legendary MCs and innovators in style and form. And they stare at you blankly, like, sorry, I don't know who that is. Are you going to get mad with them? And tell them that they're and think that they're trash because how can they have made it here and spit these rhymes and do what they're doing without knowing who these people are? By that same token, if you run across a kid in the playground and they're playing basketball and they got an L shot, not nice jump shot, wet, hitting it from all over the place, and you're like, yo. You go up to that kid, yo, you're like a young, and then run down the list of great shooters. And they're like, I don't really know any of those guys. Like, I just come out here with my cousin and I just shoot. Is that going to bother you? No, because they can always learn. And they can learn, but they're there now. You know, the important thing is where they are now. That they got there. That we're here. And I think too much time, too too often, we place so much emphasis on the progression or knowing this or having this background that we can't enjoy the fact of what we have. All that shit can be learned later. I was born in 1975. I didn't experience the fucking 60s or the 50s or the 40s or the 30s. I had to learn about it after the fact from people. I caught up.
I wasn't around for when Batman was first published. But God damn it, I could talk to you about Batman like Tom Blue in the face. I wasn't around for Superman when he started. I don't like Superman. But I will sit down and listen to somebody who tells me who loves Superman and could tell me all the fascinating things about Superman and all the different people that reinterpreted them. And why did they how did they know to reinterpret them? Because people were smart enough to know, hey, we need to go to people who don't even like Superman and have them write Superman so they can figure out Superman so they can make Superman appeal to people that never fuck with Superman before. And there's a lot of people that reinterpret Superman. I still don't fuck with Superman. But I'm like, oh, that's dope. And what do I learn from it? How to reinterpret things. How to break things down. How to look at things from a different perspective. Image in the surface is what people always go by. But you have to remember that change is constant and it's necessary. Things that are dead are the only things that don't grow and change. So if something's going to live on and there's going to be a progression, there's going to be a continuum going forward, and it's not going to regress or have a downward spiral leading to its destruction and or death, it has to get better. Okay? And that's what we have to hold on to. Just getting there. So sure, it's important to learn your history. Sure, it's important to know background information. But you have to know the context in which and the situations in which to use it and why. And you also have to know that there's a phrase that I always go by. When you know better, you can do better. In order to know better, you have to open yourself up to learning. In order to learn, you have to open yourself up to the possibility that you are fallible. And you have to recognize that you have blind spots. And you have to recognize that you can always get better. You have to recognize that that can only happen through being critiqued. And you have to recognize that when you write or you create or do anything, you have opened yourself up to criticism. You have to also recognize that anytime you critique others in your space or in your field or in other fields, that you have to realize that you're going to be critiqued the same way, if not more. And in order to make it have give yourself a thick skin and prepare yourself to be able to learn, you have to critique yourself three times harder than anybody else in the outside could. At least that's how I work. So, welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs>